Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Arden First. It's good to see some new faces in the audience. So glad you guys are here today. If you are visiting, you're a special guest. We want you to know you feel right at home. This is a place that feels like home because it is home. Uh, We're excited about tonight. We want to encourage all of you to come out to our Christmas musical tonight at 630. Invite your friends. This is the one time of year, well, two times of the year, Christmas and Easter, when people who normally don't go to church come to church. So be sure to get those invites in. And we're excited about time of worship. If you will, please, let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the amazing time the choir led us in worship to you. And God, we want to clear our minds of all the clutter that sometimes happens this time of year. And we want to focus on you. So, Lord, get everything out of the way that would hinder us this morning. Forgive us for all of our sins this morning. We want to pray that you'd fill us fresh and new with your spirit. And, Lord, we really want our attention and our whole focus to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we look into your word, speak to our hearts. We ask and pray your blessing would be upon your word as we look into it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are continuing on in our series, The Songs of Christmas. And today we pick up on Zachariah's song. That's in Luke chapter 1. And as you're turning to Luke 1, how many of you survived the snowstorm? Raise your hand. All right. Well, we built, I always have a little insecurity about snow. I don't know if I'm impatient or what, but I've never really built a snowman until this year. So this is my first big snowman. All the other ones were really not that big. So we were excited. And one of the things that happened this week that was interesting, uh, Kira turned seven. So happy birthday, Kira. And my father-in-law was on his way over to the house. And many of you know he, uh, like my father, uh, had a stroke. And my father-in-law still hasn't regained his full ability to walk. And about an hour or two before they were supposed to come, we realized we haven't cleared the sidewalks. And um, so Noelle got out with her little rake and started clearing it. And we actually have a little video here of Noelle. We're not here in the snow. That's so nice of you. So what was happening is uh, we had a little snow shovel and this little rake. And uh, actually, it wasn't a snow shovel. It was just like a dirt shovel. So we were trying to clear a path. And when I asked Noelle, what are you doing? She said, I'm trying to clear a path for Papa to come because Papa has his walker and we didn't want him to trip up on the ice. And as I thought about the the events of of that day, it actually was a perfect introduction to the message because we're going to talk about Zacharias and Elizabeth who gave birth to who? John the Baptist, and his role was to clear the pathway for Jesus. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. So today we're going to look into his story. This song is also called the Benedictus in Latin, and it means praise be. And whenever we think about Christmas songs, we should always focus on what the theme of the song is, what's the real meaning. So Zechariah's song is a song of salvation. So if you will uh, look in Luke chapter 1. In verse 67, now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers 
and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet in the pathway in the way of peace. May God bless his word. So in every Christmas song, you have a certain theme. And this theme of Zechariah's song is the theme of salvation. Last time we met, we talked about Mary's song. And we talked about you can't have a Merry Christmas without Mary. And the focus of Mary's song is the person of Jesus Christ. So a little background before we jump into the text. Uh, and you, you guys, I would encourage you over the Advent season to go back in Luke's gospel as well as Matthew's gospel and read the Christmas accounts. We find Zacharias is a country. He, he's serving the Lord out in the hill country. And this would be much like a, the priest of the day would be much like a country preacher of today. And what he would do is twice a year he'd get to go to the temple in Jerusalem. So this would be like the equivalent of like a country preacher, say Madison County, Twice a year, he got to preach at Biltmore Church. I mean, this was like his opportunity. So he went to the big temple and was able to preach, and he was excited. And it was, it was once in a career you got to offer the special offering. And his time come up, came up to offer the special offering to the Lord. And as he was doing this, you remember the story, Gabriel appeared to him and said, you're going to have a child. And what did Zacharias say? I'm too old. By the way, he was smart. He didn't call his wife old. He said, she's advanced in years, but I'm old. So at least he was smart about that. And uh, Gabriel's like, okay, because you don't believe me, you don't believe God's word, what, what's going to happen to Zacharias? Anybody remember? He couldn't talk. So he was a priest, but near, near equivalent, you know, what we think of today. Think about a preacher who can't preach for nine months while John was being born. So we find him on the day of dedication when a Jewish boy is eight days old, they would take him into the temple, and that's when they would give the Jewish boy's name. And since Zacharias couldn't talk, they asked Elizabeth, what will his name be? And he says, his name will be called John. And all his friends and family and everyone around is like, there's no one in your family line by that name. Let's call him Zacharias. So they give Zacharias an Apple iPad, and he starts writing the script and shows it up. And it says, yes, his name's going to be John. And all of a sudden, as he showed his belief, his voice and his tongue was loose. His voice came back and he could talk. And we find this great benedictus, this great praise. So I want to give you three points of this message about the song of salvation. And as we look at this song, uh, almost a little over 2,000 years ago, I want you to put your place in this song. Every time we read a biblical text, we have to draw the bridge to our current day, where we're at. So I don't want you to just think this is Zechariah's song long ago, but I want it to be your song about how God is a saving God, how God's a God who visits and redeems us. So number one, as we look at this song, as Zacharias responded in faith to God's word, he was filled with God's spirit. Look at verse 67 in your scripture. 
It says, Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. So what's interesting, we find out before John was even born, you remember when Mary went to go see um, Elizabeth, and all of a sudden they were, she was filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth was, and the Bible says that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. So this is kind of a pre-taste or a precursor of the, the church age. Whenever someone receives Christ, they, they receive the Holy Spirit. So this is a preview of the church age. And you also notice here, Zacharias is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now what's interesting, you notice it says he prophesied. Generally, prophets prophesied, not priests. You know, the priests would present the offerings and give the messages and minister to the people. But the prophet would be the person that prophesied. And if you're taking notes, prophesying basically is two elements, potentially three. But the basic element is to foretell. And that would be to preach or occasionally to foretell, which is to predict. And a third element is also praise. That, that also is included in prophecy. So in this particular song, it encompasses all three. He foretells the truth and he also foretells what's going to happen to John and as well as the ministry of Jesus. And then he gives praise to God. So what's interesting is that we find out in Luke chapter 1, whenever Zacharias doubted, his mouth was closed. But whenever he trusted God and had faith, his mouth was opened. And you know, the same is true with us. Doubt shuts the door, but faith opens the door. Whenever we doubt, it just shuts us down. You ever notice that? And I have to address this Christmas season. There are many here that, for, for, for rightful reasons, we're, we're, we're a little down this year. A little depressed. You think about lost loved ones that have gone on to be with the Lord. They're no longer here with us. Um, you know, they're, they're in glory, but they're, they're not here with us. And it's sad. It's sadness. And we have to acknowledge that. But a little encouragement to all of us who have the Christmas blues. One way to overcome it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The meaning is this. Whenever we're filled with ourselves, if circumstances are bad or depressing, how do we feel? Bad or depressing. But whenever you're filled with God's spirit, he helps you overcome all the obstacles you're facing. So instead of being filled with loneliness and despair this time of year, I would encourage you not just to have a merry Christmas, but to have a holy Christmas. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, Zacharias, he didn't speak for nine months. And all of a sudden, he burst out with praise. And he opens his mouth and declares How God is so good. So it brings up a question, just a little side note. What is the difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit? You ever thought about that? A lot of times in churches we talk about the Holy Spirit. But the difference is this. Whenever you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. You're baptized in the Holy Spirit. But being filled with the Holy Spirit is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day activity. It basically means the Spirit's leading you. You've given the spirit control of your life. So here's the thing. As Christians, you can be baptized with the Holy Spirit, but not filled with the Holy Spirit. So Zacharias is a reminder. If you want to live a victorious life, and as we talked about two weeks ago, if you want to have a Merry Christmas, allow the Holy Spirit to fill you and to lead you. Amen. But one point before we move on that's interesting, as I mentioned in the beginning, here you have a priest who is prophesying. And that's kind of out of ordinary. You know, 
a priest doesn't prophesy. But whenever the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, you'll do things that you normally could not do in your own human abilities. And that, I would encourage you. I was listening to someone recently. He was talking about he went to, I believe it was a Greg Laurie crusade. And he wasn't trying to be critical, but he said he was shocked at how many hundreds of people went forward. He said, I listened to the sermon from a homiletic standpoint. It wasn't that great. And all these people came forward and received Christ. And as he was talking to this pastor, he said, I felt the same way when I heard Billy Graham. I heard him speak and it was just common speech. And all of a sudden, hundreds of people come forward to get saved. And the conclusion the pastor gave this this church leader, he said, it's not about the person, the speaker. It's about the Holy Spirit moving on people. So for us ordinary people that aren't eloquent, eloquent, that sometimes stumble over our words, it's okay because God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Amen. All right, number two, Christmas is all about divine visitation. When God visits his people, everything forever changes. In verses 68 through 75, we're going to break it down. It has the whole imagery of Christmas is about God visiting us, visiting his people. And when God comes, he changes everything. I was looking at my life the past few decades, and every decade I I can retrace a divine visitation. And I want you guys, as I tell my story, to think back at your life. And some of you know some of my highlights, but when I was five, God visited me and I gave my life to Christ. I still remember down in my parents' room, I asked my dad, I said, how do I get to heaven? And he explained the good news and I accepted Christ and I became a Christian. That was a divine visitation. I can remember when I was 14, surrendering. I was Jesus was Savior, but I wasn't following him as Lord. I remember surrendering and saying, God, whatever. Shortly thereafter, at 15, I called into ministry. That was a a, a divine visitation where God changed the course of my life. I remember about 10 years later when I was 25, I met Lori, the love of my life. And that was, I consider, heaven's gift to me. The Bible says whoever finds a wife, what? Finds a good thing. And all the husbands said, amen. All the single people said, help, Lord. (laughs) So here's the thing. God visits. In my 30s, I remember when I was 33, we started having kids and it was getting a little stressful. Not, not you girls, just the boys. But it was getting a little stressful. And uh, all of them. <laughs> it's good. And I remember having heart issues. And I'm like, I, I'm 33. I'm too, too young to have heart issues. So I remember calling all my fun, crazy Pentecostal friends and said, I need you to pray for me. I'm having heart issues. They believe in healing, so they're praying for me. And I, I remember telling God, God, I'm going to serve you regardless. But here's my prayer. If you heal my heart. I'm going to be inspired to to serve you twice the energy, twice the effectiveness, twice the zeal. And I went and everything was good and God healed my heart. So every every decade I've had divine visitations where God has come through and my life's been forever changed. And here's the thing. I, I think the same is true in your life. If you could look back every decade, there's been times where God has shown up and shown out. And this is what's happening in this text. So when God visits his people, he gives us Christmas presents. So if you're taking notes under point two, there's six Christmas presents in this text. The first one is this. God rescues and redeems those in captivity. Look at verse 68. It says he has visited and redeemed his people. The idea of visitation is a biblical concept. When God comes, he changes everything. For the righteous, they're rewarded. For the wicked, they're punished. This is the day of the Lord. And there's a coming ultimate day of the Lord that we're encouraging everyone, hey, receive the gospel because one day we're going to stand before God. 
And for those who have accepted Christ, it's a good day. For those who haven't accepted Christ, it's not a good day. So the day of the Lord, he visits. The word redeem has a slave market imagery. We were in bondage to slavery. We had a debt we could not pay. But Jesus came on Christmas Day to live a perfect life for 33 years, to die on a cross, to pay the price for our sins. I was joking with one of the college students in the first service, and I said, it's like this. A lot of college students have a lot of student loans, and I've met people that have loans as much as $100,000. And imagine you're starting your career off, you have a $100,000 student loan, you're trying to pay it off, you can't, and you, you feel like you're drowning in debt. All of a sudden, you have this long-lost relative that says, you know what, I, I just I felt you, you're on my heart, I understand you have some debt, I'm going to pay off all your student loans. How would that make you feel? You'd be so excited. And then he said, better yet, I'm going to give you $10 million so you don't have to worry about anything the rest of your life. I mean, as a college student, you'd be like, oh, my goodness. Did you know spiritually it's even better? When Jesus came, he didn't just cancel our debt when we accepted him. He put his righteousness into our spiritual account so that we have the righteousness of Christ. So we can live righteously all the days of our life. And it's better than $10 million because it goes throughout eternity. Amen. So. Anybody ever heard of C.I. Schofield, Schofield Bible? How many of you have a Schofield Bible or had one? Okay. Here's a story. And by the way, I, all these men have mustaches or beards. I don't know why, but I wish I could grow one one day, maybe when I get older. But he was born in the state of Michigan in 1843. And in his life, he became a very influential lawyer. Many of you don't know that about Schofield, but he was a lawyer. And he got connected with the politics of D.C. He served under one of the presidents. And uh, basically, with going to D.C., he lived a, a life, he got caught up in the whole party lifestyle around D.C., and he became a heavy drinker. And I guess you'd say he was an alcoholic, he drank a lot. So for 14 years, this very influential lawyer got caught up in the party scene and just, you know, living his life. And he, he was raised in a Christian home. His mother had died when he was an infant, but his father raised him in Christian values, but he went far away from it. But Mr. Schofield had a friend named Tom S. McFeeders. And McFeeders was a very devout Christian man that wasn't ashamed of his faith. And one day he came to pay Mr. Schofield a visit. He came to his law office. And as he was leaving, his hand was on the door. He turned around and said, Mr. Schofield, I'm a little nervous, but I feel like God wants me to tell you something. And Schofield said, why are you nervous? You've never been nervous before. Tell me what's on your heart. And he said, why are you not a Christian? And Mr. Schofield was taken back because in his circle of friends, you didn't really talk about religion and politics. You talked about politics, but not religion. You left it out. So Mr. Schofield stumbled, didn't know what to say. He said, well, the only thing I know to tell you is I'm a heavy drinker and understand, you know, drunkards don't make it to, into heaven. And uh, Mr. McFeeders pressed the point. He said, I didn't ask you about drinking. I asked you, why are you not a Christian? And he said, well, no one's ever explained how to become a Christian to me. So Mr. McFeeders explained the gospel, the good news about Jesus comes to save and redeem. And he said, would you like to accept Jesus Christ right now as your Lord and Savior? And Schofield said, well, I've got to think about it. Mr. McFeeders was uninundated. Un he said, listen, you've thought about it all your life. If you're not going to do it now, I, I, you know, you're not going to accept him. Do you want to do it right now? He basically said, we need to talk about it. And <laughs> Schofield knelt down. And he prayed to receive Christ. And this influential lawyer that had all these D.C. connections transformed his life. He became friends with a guy that you guys have heard of by the name of D.L. Moody. 
And for the last 30 years of his life, he used his law, lawyer mindset to study and analyze the Bible and wrote the Schofield Bible in, in his last days. And his life is just one of millions and millions of lives where you look at Jesus and Christmas. And the first present we see is God comes to rescue and redeem. The second present is this. God raises up a strong savior for his people. Look at verse 69. Verse 69 is such a powerful verse. It says, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So here's the thing about a horn. The horn is the imagery of something that's strong. You remember in the battle of Jericho where they marched around the walls and blew the horn and the walls came tumbling down? Horn is symbolic of our God is strong. And I want you to realize this Christmas, when you feel weak, when you feel lonely, when you feel like you don't know what's going to happen in the future, know that we serve a strong and mighty God who can do whatever he needs to do. Amen. In 2 Samuel 22, verse 3, this is in your listening guide. It says, the God of my strength and whom I trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, you save me from violence. Such a beautiful promise. The third Christmas present God gives us is he always keeps his word. Aren't you glad that you serve a God who what he says he does? Every promise that he gives, he performs. Look at verse 70. It says, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. The amazing thing about Zacharias' song is it's a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you have the Abrahamic covenant. And the covenant of Abraham to the Jewish people is to be a blessing to all people. And the sign of that covenant was circumcision. Then you have the, the David covenant or the Davidic covenant. And that was the promise to raise up a king who would sit upon the throne forever. And that was the sign of this king whose reign will never end. And then you had the new covenant. And the new covenant was instead of the law written on tablets of stone, the sign will be, will be written on your heart. What's beautiful is in Zechariah's song, he proclaims Jesus fulfills all the covenants. And he's ushering in this new covenant whereby we have a relationship with God, whereby we have salvation. Aren't you glad that God keeps his word? The fourth Christmas gift is God raises us up above those who are against us. In verse 71, it says that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us. Let us not forget in this text that the people of Israel were under Roman bondage, that Romans were ruling the day and they were wanting a deliverer. But Jesus didn't come just to set them free at that day and time from Roman bondage. He came to set them free from the slavery and the tyranny of sin. And Christmas is all about Jesus coming to set us free. Not just temporarily, but eternally. And that is the good news of the gospel. Number five, the fifth Christmas present under point two. God shows us mercy in keeping his promise. Look at verse 72 of this song. It says to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. Now, I want you to get this, that it's hard to fathom what it'd be like to be a Jew in this day and time. You had been waiting for hundreds and thousands of years for the coming of Messiah. Every feast, every festival, you were waiting, you were looking forward to the Messiah. And in Jesus, you have so many prophecies fulfilled. Some scholars say several hundred 
I know there's at least 61 specific prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his lifetime. And if you're a mathematician and did the math, one person, even the, the low estimate of 61, it's an impossibility unless it was God doing it, fulfill that, that, those prophecies, like him being born in Bethlehem. All the, all the prophecies of his birth and of his death, like Psalm 22, where, you know, piercing his hands and his feet and reading Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant. You could go on and on throughout Old Testament scripture. And you see here that it says God kept his promise. If you go back to Genesis 12, where God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you and all those who bless you will be a blessing. And those who curse you, they, they, they won't be blessed. And the thing about Christmas is Jesus came to give us hope, to give us life. So Christmas is a reminder that God is good, God is faithful, and God is near. We call Jesus Emmanuel because why? He's God with us. He's near us. And the sixth Christmas present is this. God sets us free so that we can serve him in freedom, in love, in holiness, and in righteousness. Look at verse 74. I love this point here in this this song it says to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear see here's the thing the bible says god's perfect love cast out fear a lot of us have fears in our life and fears breed insecurities and i want to encourage you wherever you have fears in your life ask god's word to reveal that and cast that out because his love casts out all fears. And as humans, we have fears. We have challenges. We have issues we're working through. One of the biggest fears I've been working through, and some of you have getting feedback, I'm working on, this is a side note, message coming soon. I'm working on a message of a biblical perspective of growing old. How many of you have ever heard an encouraging sermon about getting older? Anybody? I haven't. So this is hopefully after Christmas. I'm going to give a standalone message about a positive perspective of getting older. God's got something beautiful in store. So I'm going to now, you better bring your friends. This is a message that's going to encourage you. But here's the hope. Jesus Christ, when he came, he came to give us hope and give us life. He came on a rescue mission. And the rescue mission was the Father's glory. And whenever he came, he had you on his mind. So I want you to think about this Christmas in 2018. When Jesus came... He came for the Father's glory and you were on his mind. Christmas is about God showing his love by coming for you. Amen. All right, number three. This is our final point of the message. Christmas is all about you taking your place in the story of grace. So what's interesting, this song, if you analyze it and break it down, instead of as Zacharias is dedicating John and he starts prophesying, instead of talking about how good his son is, who does he talk about first? talks about Jesus all up until this verse right here. The majority of it's talking about how good Jesus is. So here's a side note for parents and grandparents. As good as your children are, always point them to Jesus. Jesus is the only star of the universe. Jesus is the only one we should keep our focus on. All right, let's look at verse 76. It says, And you, child, will be called prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Now, you think about John the Baptist. He took his place in the story of grace. I want to ask you guys, as we contextualize this to 2018, are you taking your place in the story of grace? John took his place. He was the forerunner. His job was to clear the pathway for Jesus to come. 
And Jesus, he cleared the pathway for us to come to God. So both were clearing the way for us to be brought closer to God. What is your place? How are you rising up and taking your place in the story of grace? I read a story about a little girl before the advent of electricity. She was working hard one day and she had her little candle and the wick was burning. And she wouldn't stop working. And her her family and friends are like, you can take a break, you know. And the little girl said, I have only one candle and it will soon be burnt out. I'm going to work while the the wick is still lit. And that's kind of like our lives. We have one small wick and it's burning brightly, but it's burning fast. You ever notice the older you get, the faster it seems to burn? And we only have one life to live and only what is done for Christ will last. I was reflecting earlier I remember when I was Noel's age, five, and I was thinking, I got 12 more years left of school. And my mind was already planning out the next 12 years. Isn't it funny how leader's personality you have from birth? I was thinking, how am I going to get past the 12 years? And as a five-year-old, I was analyzing and projecting, and that, that went by so fast. I remember in the ninth grade, you guys remember, it was 96, but you guys remember Y2K? And I'm thinking, what's going to happen Y2K? And it's, what, 2018, 18 years past Y2K? Whatever happened to Y2K? You know, we think about time, but I want you to think about Christmas. Christmas is when God stepped out of timelessness and into human time. God stepped out of his glory in heaven, and in Jesus, he stepped into a lowly manger. God stepped into our world so that one day he could take us to his world. He came to our place so that one day he could take us to his place. Amen. So John the Baptist was a forerunner. And he was to prepare the way for people to accept Jesus. Look on your listening God. Malachi 3.1 is there. The time between Malachi and this story we're reading now is often known as the silent years because there's about 400 years or so where there's no recorded prophetic word. And you guys remember maybe last Christmas I mentioned this. Just because there's no recorded word doesn't mean God wasn't still speaking to his saints. All through time God speaks to us. And even now, the Bible's written, but does God not still speak to you in your spirit? It doesn't have the same level and authority of Scripture, but God, even though he may be silent, he's still speaking. But for 400 years, there was no recorded revelation in Scripture. And all of a sudden, Zacharias burst out on the scene. And this was predicted, look at Malachi 3.1, before this came, 400 years before John the Baptist was born, his, his birth was predicted. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And the idea is John the Baptist, his birth was predicted over 400 years before he came. Now, isn't that fascinating? See, for people who don't believe the Bible, it's hard for them to reconcile how prophecies occur. Because these happened 400 years before it even took place, and then it happened. And there's so many things in the Bible like that. So for the atheist mind, they, they struggle with prophecy. But the only way they could say, well, that had to be written after the fact, which is not the case. It was written 400 years before And then John came. So John was a prophet who declared the need to respond in faith and repentance to Jesus. He was announcing the new covenant. Jesus had came 
so that we could have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, the new covenant is in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. In essence, it says, instead of written on tablets of stone, this new covenant will be written on your heart. And that's the idea that whenever you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit moves in and he leads you and he guides you. Look at verses 78 and 79. This is perhaps my favorite part of this whole song. Let's read verse 78 and 79 together. It says, Through the tender mercy of our God, which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. So here's a few things about Christmas. And we could do another complete sermon on just these two verses. But Christmas reveals the character of God. Notice its mercy toward us. Aren't you glad that God is so merciful? If we got as we deserved, as our sins deserve, none of us would be able to stand today. But Christmas shows us the mercy of God. Christmas also reveals the light of God. There's that word dayspring. And dayspring is a word that we don't really use a lot. But dayspring is a messianic term. And it basically means when Jesus comes, it's going to be like the dawn of a new day, the sunrise. So here's, here's the picture for you guys. In a world full of darkness, in a world where there's not a lot of hope, in a bad news world, I've come to give you good news. The day spring has come. His name is Jesus. And he can light up any dark sky. So in your life, some of you are going through a dark time right now. It's like the psalmist says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't forget the day springs there. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes when? In the morning. So here's the good news. No matter what you're going through, even if someone in here is on death's door, when you wake up in the morning in glory, the day spring will give you new light. As Christians, we have hope no matter what the circumstances are. Amen. So Christmas is all about visitation. God visiting his people and giving us life and giving us hope. Christmas not only reveals the light of God and the character of God, but it reveals the mission of God. Look at verse 79. The mission of God is to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. Did you know that one practical way for you to have a Merry Christmas, instead of focusing on your circumstances, if you try to give light to those around you, those who are in darkness, those who are in despair, be light to them. You know, Jesus said, let your light do what? Shine before people. Christmas is about light, bringing encouragement and hope to people. Not only that, but Christmas reveals the purpose of God. Look at the last part of verse 79. It says, to guide our feet in the way of peace. Aren't you glad that there's purpose, there's hope? It's been said that the richest place on earth is the graveyard. In the graveyard is buried hopes that never happen. Dreams that never came true. In the graveyard is buried books that never were written. Lives that were never lived. But I want to encourage you this Christmas to take your place in the story of grace. Don't let the graveyard be the richest place. Let your life be the richest place. Because as Zachariah's songs reminds us today, we talked about, number one, as you respond in faith to God's word, notice what was happening. He was filled with God's spirit. Isn't that true with us? As we're led by the Spirit, we believe the Word. The God, God guides us through His Word and through His Spirit. 
Christmas is all about divine visitation. When God visits his people, everything forever changes. That's not just true the first Christmas. This is true in 2018. If you need a divine visitation, know that God is still active. He's still the God with us. He's not some distant deity. He's still Emmanuel. He's still the God that comes to be with us. Amen. And Christmas is all about you taking your place in the story of grace. So I close by asking this. What is your place in the story of grace? It doesn't matter if you're 8 or you're 90 here today. As long as you're breathing out, God is still breathing in purpose. As I mentioned two weeks ago, you still have destiny in your DNA. God's got something for you. So as we close on this song of salvation, here's your take-home truth. And I want us to say it together. Christmas is all about divine visitation. Jesus coming to us so that he could take us to him. So when we have our Christmas this year, I want you to remember that God's glory was on Jesus' mind. And also you were. He came for you so that one day... He could take you to himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story, this song of salvation. And God, as we entered into Zechariah's story, we see the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see grace unfolding before us. And Father, forgive us for taking this grace for granted. Forgive us for not being light bearers to other others. And God, I want to pray for the believers, first of all, for those who are facing sadness this time of year. This is a valid feeling. We don't minimize it. We don't look over it, but we face it head on. And God, I pray for all those who are sad this time of year, that you would fill them fresh and new with your spirit. That you would raise them above the temporal sadness and help them to see the eternal joys that wait ahead. Father, I pray for those who are suffering because their husband or wife's no longer here. They're not lost to us, but they're with you. They're not here with us. and we, we, we miss them. I pray they would fill the presence of Emmanuel, the God with us, so that table wouldn't be empty this time. It would be the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit with them at that Christmas dinner table. They would fill God with us. Father, help us. As the believers continue to pray, there may be one here today that Christmas doesn't make sense because you haven't accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. If you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and he rose again, and you're willing to surrender your life to him, I want you to pray this prayer right where you're sitting. Say, Jesus, I want you to be center of my life from now on. I believe that you did come for me. That you died for me. That you rose again to victory. And Jesus, I realize I can't have life or meaning or purpose or peace without Jesus. So Jesus, I pray that you would forgive me of all my sins. I repent of them. And I give my life over to your control. I make you my Lord and my Savior, my friend. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God and to the kingdom of God. Father, thank you for this Christmas. We love you and we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This time we're going to stand for a closing song. I just want to encourage you, whatever your need is, I'll be at the front. Miss Judy will be at the front of prayer team. If you need a divine visitation this year, if you're, if you're depressed, we don't minimize that at all. But we're here to encourage you. We're here to pray for you. 
If you need to make a decision to draw closer to Christ, Miss Judy and I will be at the front. So as we sing this song, please respond as the Lord leads.